You're listening to the Trace Church Rock Rimmon podcast. Awesome. Hey, well, good morning, Trace. How are we doing this morning? Everybody feeling good? good? Man, it's beautiful outside, is it not? You got negative five coming, but here, here we go. Here we go. Hey, um, before I introduce our guest speaker for the day, I just want to take a moment. Actually, before I even get to that, I want to celebrate something with you. Last Thursday evening, I had the opportunity to meet with many of the church leaders around our city, and we spent some time with our mayor, Mayor Southers. And mayor, the mayor was talking about different ways that our churches can partner with him and different things that we could uh, continue to do together and how, much more str- how stronger we are. Uh, when we come together for the sake of serving the city. And last fall, if you were here, we joined with something called uh, COS I Love You, Cause I Love You. And we sent, uh, I don't know how many people from here, but thousands of volunteers from around uh, our city from different churches came together for the sake of representing the church, right? Because we're all one church. Yeah, Trace Church is a small gathering that we come together on Sunday, but we're a part of the Bigger C Church. And so when we all come together, incredible things can happen. But I wanted to brag on you really quick, if I can. Um, out of all the things the mayor could have pointed to as a way to illustrate how churches were getting involved in the city, um, he actually talked about this little church called Trace who renovated a teacher's lounge uh, for Mark Twain Elementary. And I want to say thank you. Yeah, go ahead. Give yourself a round of applause. Thanks for being available. Uh, thanks for serving. Thanks for helping us not just be a church in this city, but for this city. And so, uh, yeah, that was just, I'm not going to lie, it was a proud moment for me. And I won't say whether or not I walked around and said, hey, we're better than you because the mayor talked about us. He didn't talk about you, but he talked about us. No, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Uh, um, Hey, uh, Eddie Williams has become a good friend of mine. Uh, Eddie is the pastor of Bay City Church in San Francisco, and I got to meet Eddie a couple years ago. He's a part of our bigger family called Orchard. If you're new here, we're part of a church planting network called the Orchard Group. Uh, Orchard helped us plant about three and a half years ago. And so uh, I think this is something you should probably know as well. Every uh, 5% of every dollar you give here to Trace actually goes to church planting around the world. And so every time you give, 5% of that's going to be put aside for the sake of church planting uh, because we're always going to be a church planting church. Uh, I love this guy. He's got a strong word for you this morning. And so will you do me a favor and let Eddie Williams hear our love for him being here today with us. Well, hey, good morning. You guys with me this morning? You know how the morning service is. If you've been, a little quiet, still some crust in the eyes, people still waking up. So I don't know, don't know what sort of you know, mid-morning service you are, but I, I hope you guys are with me this morning. I'm honored to be with you guys. My name's Eddie. I'm a pastor at a church called Bay City in San Francisco, California. We're part of Orchard Group, just like you guys, and so just excited to be part of the family and uh, see you guys, and you guys have welcomed me like that as well. So hey, let me pray for us. We'll get right into what God has for us. Does this sound good? All right. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to be with Trace. Lord God, it is an honor. It is a privilege. Would you uh, send your spirit out before us, Lord God, so that way Uh, what you have from this word, from me, Lord God, would stick as long as it is from you and anything that's just from me, Lord, would you just discard that? And I pray we're edified and built up this morning as we get ready um, to hang out and and enjoy some food together in his name, amen. Yeah, so like Pastor Aaron said, I played uh, football for five years. I was drafted by the Washington Redskins and played a little bit for the Seahawks, but spent most of my time with the Cleveland Browns and I'm very disappointed to see zero Cleveland Browns jerseys here this morning. Uh, very sad to see. I don't know. They're a really good team. I don't understand. If you watch football, you know they're, they're not very good. Um, yeah, and it, football, playing in the NFL and church planting are basically the same thing, right? Basically the same thing. You, and all of the same perks exist. 
there's money, there is fame, there is power, there is women, there is unlimited supplements. I'm just kidding, okay, there's none of that. It's the exact opposite of playing, NFL's the exact opposite of church planning. So you go from uh, playing in front of, you know, 65, 70,000 people on a Sunday morning and maybe hundreds of thousands, if not millions, in this case, in the Super Bowl's case, billions of people watching on television to uh, 70 people in a dingy old auditorium worshiping Jesus together. And, and the truth is, that is way better than playing in the NFL. It really is. I, I, I find my home there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I found my home there, uh, being a part of church planning. And the thing is, as I've uh, come to know Jesus, I met Jesus as a teenager in college, as I've come to know him, I've really realized that church planning has connected me with God's story greater than anything else has ever, ever has in my life. You know, see, from the Bible, if we look at this big old book, we know from Genesis to Revelation, it's one big story. It's God's overarching story, 66 books, right, uh, many authors, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, all connected in telling the story of Jesus coming into, into human history and redeeming the world from its sin and restoring the world uh, to what it, God's rightful intentions were. And so when I get to, as a church planter, as a pastor, get to read uh, the, the story of God, I get to see where I kind of find myself in this story. And that's where we're gonna be today in John 20, 21. Now, Somewhere between God's call to go forth out into the world as Christians, for those of you that are Christians, and make disciples, and in between that call to go and to now, I think we've kind of lost a little bit of our fervor as a church, as a church. And what I mean by church is not church building, but church people. People, the God's people that were sent out into the world to go make disciples into the world. And so I feel like we've lost some of our fervor and we've lost our, our God's powerful call to go and we found Americans, uh, our American call to consume. I think we've lost our call to go and found a call to consume. But luckily for us, at the end of the, God, you know, he's foreseen this. At the end of the book of John, Jesus, he dies. For those of you who don't know, Jesus dies. He lives a perfect life. He dies a death that we all should have died. He resurrects and then write his very first words to the disciples are these words in John 20, 21. Now, first thing he says, it's not included in here, is greetings which is nice of him to say greetings. Uh, you just rose from the dead, and the first thing you say is greetings. Okay? And so I feel like you, you should have came down with a like smog machine and you know, wearing all white, you know, like Michael Jackson on the Thriller tour, and it should have been a big deal. Instead, he shows up saying greetings. And then, and then here's what he says to us, the disciples and to us. He says, as the Father has sent me, so now I'm sending you. This is his very first words, very first words after resurrecting from the dead. He, his very first word is a standing order to his people to go. That's what it is. Now, when I read this text initially, and maybe some of you feel the same way, I didn't really think anything of it. But I, I got caught up living the Christian life. But really, there's actually a, a Christian mission to be done. So instead of just living the Christian life of coming to church and doing things, there's actually something we're supposed to be doing. God has sent us somewhere. And that's what we're gonna figure out. What we realize is that every believer has a standing order to go forth into the world, to be sent by God, and to make disciples and engage in God's mission. Now, if that's scary to you, if you, didn't, if you haven't heard about this yet, I totally understand. I was in that place too. But I hope that as we unpack this passage, you and I are gonna go on a journey together and learn some things about ourselves that are gonna teach us what we need to do to really authentically be sent into the world. It's not just about going to church, it's about being the church. 
And we're gonna learn today what it means to be the church, that each of us is uniquely called to go on this mission with Jesus. That's what it's for. And so there's gonna be four things you're gonna learn. You're gonna be four things you're gonna learn about what it means to be sent into the world. And you're gonna, hopefully you're gonna learn them about yourself. And as you learn these, I hope it motivates you to take this Sunday maybe as an opportunity to be sent into the world, to sent into your family, to sent into your place of work, to be sent into your gym, to be sent wherever you're sent into, to be an impactful missionary for God, even today in 2020 in America. So what's the first thing you need to do? First thing you need to do if you wanna understand your sentness, you need to use your own story. You need to use your story for God's mission, your specific story. Now my story, I grew up in the Bay Area in California and I bounced all around this place. I mean, we moved from house to house to house to house, went to four elementary schools, two middle schools, just all over the place. My, uh, my father left my family when I was eight or nine years old, when we were really young. I had a younger sister and my mother did the best she could, she was a single working mom. But uh, throughout this process of moving from house to house, whatever the house, uh, we were on government assistance and so whatever house we were in, that's the house we were in. And uh, we'd be in bad neighborhoods, we'd get our house broken into, um, get beat up at school, just this whole really tough time in our lives. Right smack dab in the middle of this really tough time for me, my mom gets diagnosed with cervical cancer. And so my mom gets diagnosed with cancer. I'm at this point, uh, 12 or 13 years old. My younger sister, just a few years younger. And we're trying to wrestle with this idea that my mom might not be there with us long term. And as we're living this life, my mom passes away and we go into this foster system for a brief time and then eventually land uh, with a distant family member. And, and here's the thing, I never knew Jesus. I never went to church. I went to church, actually I call it the Holy Trinity of church services. I went to Christmas, Easter, and Mother's Day. Those are the three I went to. So if you're here you, you know, and this is your first time outside of one of those, welcome, welcome to church. And uh, I, I've been there and I understand. And so I went to these, these, these different church services with my only exposure to anybody named Jesus. Of course, if you would have asked me if I was a Christian, I would have said, yeah, I'm a Christian. Why? I don't know. There's an old Bible in my house. You know, that's, that's what I was. And so when I considered the call to what it meant to go back to San Francisco, because I left, went to play in the NFL, went to college and did ministry all over the country. As I considered this call, I knew what it was going to take for me to have to go back into a place where I knew there was so much hardship. It's going to be difficult. Now, the city and the specific neighborhood we landed in San Francisco is filled with a lot of different things. It's diverse, it's urban, uh, lots of young professionals, but also a lot of generationally impoverished people. Now, the crazy thing about my story was that that's my story. I grew up impoverished, I grew up poor, I grew up on Section 8 in government housing, but I also am college educated. I played five years in the NFL. I worked in the business world for a few years. I've worked in nonprofits. The crazy thing about being back in our neighborhood and God's call to me to go back there was I'm uniquely knitted for this place. There are people that are generationally impoverished. There are people that work in business. There are educated people and there are people that work blue collar jobs. There are both. And God, my story is that I can sit on both sides of the aisle and be somebody that I can relate to these people. Now, you might not be able to do that, but I can assure you there are things about your life that there's no way I could ever be. Amen? Right? You are uniquely knitted by God to do specific things that he's called you to do for your own specific life. Now, the trouble with this is, is that we all compare ourselves to each other. Go figure, right? And the main culprit of this is social media, is it not? Now, I love social media. Don't get mad at me, okay? I love, I think social media is great, but it could also be used by Satan for destruction, Okay, 
That's sarcasm. I'm just kidding. It, but, but actually, I guess I'm not kidding. It can be used for that. It's a, it's a dangerous thing. To, uh, it's a tightrope to walk. Social media can be hard. But the really interesting thing about social media is it produces comparison, doesn't it? I always like to say, it's better to be the all-pro version of you, not the practice squad version of somebody else. But when we look at social media, we often compare ourselves to people and we think, man, I want to do or be what they are doing or being. Even some of you right now have looked on social media this morning and saw your friends in Bora Bora or Barcelona or somewhere else or at the Super Bowl living it up and you know that it's gonna be negative five tomorrow night and you're devastated, okay? And you're gonna have to shovel snow and the whole deal. You're already going, man, I wish I was where they are. And then so you delete the app, I can't do this anymore, social media is the devil, and then you reinstall it a couple days later because it's not the devil, maybe it was just you and you're having a bad day. You understand what I'm talking about here. The problem with social media is it produces comparison, and comparison produces sameness. We're not supposed to become like each other. The problem with sameness is that God made us for uniqueness. We're actually created to be individual people, given our own story, given our own people to impact. Don't you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand? That there are only some hands that you can hold in this world. There are only some brains you'll be able to penetrate. You know, oftentimes we look at the church and we'll go, Man, I gotta bring people to the church because if I can bring them to hear my pastor talk and then they might meet Jesus. But if we look at John 20, 21, it says this, as the Father has sent me, that's Jesus, so I'm now sending you. I'm sending you. It doesn't say as the Father sent me, so I'm now sending your pastor. As the Father sent me, so I'm now sending, insert YouTube preacher, insert small group leader. He says, I am sending you. That means that you are uniquely gifted and called to go into your world, to meet certain people, to engage them. You know, the, God can do amazing things through sermons. He can, he can change people's lives through sermons. Your pastor's a great preacher. He can change people's lives through that sermon. But you know, God's just as willing to use your conversation with a person as he is to use the sermon. That your conversation is, is equally a tool in God's belt to use for his mission as the sermon. Do not underestimate your ability to influence people. God has entrusted you with this. You've got to use your story. Now, as you know, Kobe Bryant just uh, passed away, which I I'm devastated. He's my one of my favorite basketball players, my favorite basketball player growing up. But you know what's powerful about the outpouring after Kobe Bryant's death is how, just how impacted everybody was around him. And not just because Kobe was a great basketball player, because he was, and not just because he won a lot of championships, which he did. But every single person you hear talk on television about Kobe Bryant has a story about how Kobe Bryant impacted them. One person says, Kobe Bryant said one thing to me on a basketball court and it changed the way I thought about basketball. Kobe Bryant said one thing about me, about what it meant to, to be in the WNBA and now I'm empowering women in my community and I'm empowering women and fighting for WNBA to get equal rights. All, everybody is empowered, was, was empowered by Kobe Bryant that came in, in, in contact with him. Kobe Bryant knew what it seems like, Kobe Bryant knew how to find his place in everybody else's story. We all tend to think of ourselves as kind of the star of our story, right? We all tend to think of that. But the truth is, Jesus is the star of the story and we're a small character, yeah? But what does it look like for us to look like supporting characters in the lives of other people? And we go, how do I be the best supporting character for this person in this moment? And how do I be that best version? Maybe it's walking with them for years and years and years and, and, and laboring alongside them and helping them to know Jesus. Maybe it's opening the door for them at a, at a coffee shop. 
Maybe it's saying hello to them at work and just telling them a joke to encourage them. Maybe it's that. What is that thing? You know, as a pastor, you tend to think you can help change all these people and you can do it. But the truth is, the best way to be a pastor, I think, and I'm young still, is to find my role in the lives of other people and just figure out what little kernel can I give that person to give them encouragement. Maybe it's for a long time, maybe it's for a short moment. I wanna encourage you to find your role in the story of other people. How can you help impact them, whether it's for a moment or whether it's for a lifetime? So you've gotta use your story if you wanna embrace your sentness, but you also gotta acknowledge your calling. In order to, to be sent, you've gotta acknowledge that you yourself, yeah, that's, that's right, I'm, I'm actually talking to all of you right now, are sent by God. Look at first, uh, 2 Timothy, rather, chapter one, verse eight and nine, it says this. Therefore, do not be ashamed by the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, this is the apostle Paul talking, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Paul says here that Jesus saved us and he called us to a holy calling. You're not just called by God, your calling is a holy one. Now, if you know what holy means, holy means to, set, it's to, be, to be set apart. It's distinct. It's different from everything else. Kind of like when grandma makes a delicious pie. like she, she makes a holy pie. She sets it apart so kids don't put their fingers in it before it cools down. You know what I'm saying? She's setting apart. You have a calling that has been set apart from God from everybody else's call. Your call is unique, and you have the power to fulfill that calling. And that's what we're talking about here. But if we're honest... Many of us are unwilling to acknowledge that calling. Let's be honest. We, some of us feel that call. Maybe we're a little skeptical. Was that really God saying that to me? Was, I actually, was God actually calling me into ministry? Or was I actually supposed to talk to that person at work? Or was I actually supposed to engage that person at the coffee shop? Was I supposed to go talk to that person in the hall? I don't know. I'm skeptical. Some of us are calling. Maybe we're a little cynical towards our calling. You know what? I've heard God say things before, and none of them have come true. This can't be right. I don't know if I can believe in God anymore, not in this level. I believe in God, I believe in Jesus maybe, but that calling, hearing from him, I just don't know. Maybe some of us are fearful. I know what God's saying, but man, what's that gonna cost me if I do it? Am I gonna have to, I mean, what about the friends and family I could lose? Man, what about the time and effort and energy or money that's gonna cost? Would I have to move? Uproot my family to follow God's calling? Man, that's a lot. Some of us are skeptical, some of us are cynical, some of us are fearful. But some of us actually have just forgotten we're called in the first place. Maybe some of you, I don't know your story, but maybe some of you have been following Jesus for a really long time. And you've been in ministry and you've kind of gotten into the cycle of coming to church, participating in a group, maybe saying a prayer here or there. But we forgot we're actually called into, into the fields to go make disciples. I remember getting my call uh, to go back to San Francisco. I was uh, living in Salt Lake City at the time. I was helping run Fellowship of Christian Athletes there in Utah. We had a nice, great house, and my wife's three kids, just wonderful life there. We helped plant a church there. We're living a great life, and then all of a sudden, call hits. And I had to count the cost of what this might actually cost me. Man, I, relationships, family. I just convinced my brother-in-law to move there. I just convinced my best friend to move there. I just convinced another good friend to move there. How am I gonna tell them I have to leave six weeks after they get here? That conversation didn't go well, by the way. Uh, but I, we, we did, we ended up feeling like, you know what, at the end of the day, we feel like we'd be telling God no if we don't go. 
God's call on our lives was so palpable that we felt like we'd be telling him no. Is acknowledging your call hard? Yeah, it's hard. That's okay, it is hard. For me, when I was acknowledging my calling, I knew that, like I told you, I was going back to a place that was, if I'm honest, held tremendous amount of pain for me, going back to San Francisco. I had very little family there. I had very little family in the Bay Area, even though I'm from there. If I went back and planted a church there, I was gonna have to face so many hard realities that living abroad, I've been able to ignore, quite honestly, or put on the back burner, knowing that there's no Thanksgiving dinners waiting for me when I went back. I would have to fully embrace the difficulties of my childhood if I went back to San Francisco. But as I've seen over the last few years being a part of a great church and trying to build a place that can create community in San Francisco, I get to, by God's grace, share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. That's what I've gotten the opportunity to do living there. You know, it's also easy to to avoid our calling by kind of getting lost in the nuances of the Christian walk. In San Francisco, I call this spiritual intellectualism. We have a lot of smart people in San Francisco, at least they think they're smart. Uh, I like to say educated beyond their intelligence, right? Uh, they're, they're smart, and so what they'll do is as they embrace Christianity, they'll, they'll sit and they'll discuss the nuances of Christianity about fasting and prayer, and it's good to do that, but they get so lost in the details and the minutia that they actually don't do anything. We forget we're on mission. Don't let spiritual intellectualism distract you from the real reality, friends, that you're called into your sphere of influence to be a light for Jesus, to make disciples no matter the cost. Now, some of us, we might feel like, you know, I'm just not ready. Like, I'm not ready. I'm excited. I'm interested, but I'm not ready. But here's the thing. While you're sitting over here being, being worried, trying to get ready to serve later, God's ready to use you right now. That's what's powerful. God can use broken people, crooked sticks, to do powerful things all of the time. He speaks out of donkeys. He can cry out from rocks if he wants to. He can use broken pastors and people to communicate his word. You have everything in you right now to do exactly what God's called you to do because that's the power of Jesus. That's what we're talking about here. So you've got, you've got to understand, you've got to begin to acknowledge that calling, you've got to use your story, but you've also got to love where you are. You've got to love the place that you're trying to minister to. Now, let me read Jeremiah 29. It's this powerful passage. God's talking to ancient Israel while they're in a foreign land. They're exiled to this foreign land in Babylon. And you would think he'd be like, get out of there. But this is actually what God tells Israel to do in this foreign land. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find welfare. Do you hear that? In the bettering of the place you live, you're gonna get better. In the bettering of your family, you will get better. In the bettering of your place of work, you will get better. We often think of ourselves as individual isolated spheres that have no, the other things outside of us have no bearing on us. Not so. As Colorado Springs gets better, you get better. That's what what God says here. God is informing the Israelites that they should settle into Babylon, love the place, work hard, be a neighbor, and be a citizen. Now, for me, in San Francisco, it's a place of tremendous beauty, but it's not without its hardships. There are lots of struggles here 
Lots of struggles here. In fact, it's a place, I don't know if you know the history of San Francisco at all or the Bay Area in general, but the gold rush began there. And in the 1800s, people would do as miners would come from all over the country on, by train and they would dig for gold. They would try to buy deeds for land and they would dig, sometimes illegally, and they would jump in people's yards. It's called claim jumping. They would jump in someone's yard and they would pick away for gold. I guess that's how you would do it. I mean, are there any gold diggers in here? No? <laughs> um, I don't know how to do that, right? They're digging for gold. And what do they do when they get the gold? They go back. Once they get enough gold, they go back. You know, it's, San Francisco's ethos is very much the same, except instead of digging for gold, we dig for silicon. People come into the Bay Area, they look for the newest, latest startup, they figure out how they can IPO, they get wealthy, they realize San Francisco's not a place for them, and then they move. It's a hard place, it's a hard place to make relationships, particularly for someone who has a family. I wanna build relationships with people. The average person stays in San Francisco 1.6 years. 4% of people go to church on a Sunday morning in San Francisco, 4%. There are literally more people in line waiting for brunch on a Sunday morning than there are in a church building. Now, brunch is good, but I'm not waiting in line more than 20 minutes. These people wait in line for hours because, because Yelp told them to. It's ridiculous. But instead of doing that, they, instead of going to church, they do that. There are, there are, San Francisco has the least amount of children out of any major city in the United States. And there are more dogs than kids in San Francisco. Yeah, more poodles and golden doodles. I've seen so many golden doodles. They didn't even exist like five years ago. Now there's thousands of them, okay? Now, I've, I've preached at churches where they bring dogs in as well, and I don't see any dogs here, so thank you. Uh, I, I went to that church and I told them, you know, all dogs go to heaven. You don't have to bring your dog in here. They'll be just fine. 116,000 children in San Francisco and, and 130,000 dogs. That's crazy. It's a tough place to live, but despite its struggles, it's home. You know, it's very hard to, play, to minister to a place and a people you don't love. And I'd say that to you. God's called you to be a missionary, but are you a reluctant one? You're like, okay, God, fine. Okay, I'll talk to him. I don't want to do this, but fine. It's much easier to minister to a place that you love. And so I pray for you to, to gain a love for your city, for your family, maybe your in-law family, whatever family you've married into, for your place of work, your gym, your school, that you grow to love a place and to be connected with it so that as it gets better, you get better. You know, God calls you to love your neighbor as yourself, but the catch is he also calls us to love our enemies as ourselves. Now that's tough, but what that tells us is that love is not a feeling, it's, it's a command. Love is, God's commanding us to love. And sometimes people aren't easy to love, right? They're difficult. Have you met any people? They're hard. <laughs> people are difficult. And you should know because you're one of them. But the great thing is that Jesus loves us and we're hard to love. And as we model Jesus, we'll love people that are hard to love. And the next thing, the last thing we can do to embrace our sentness is to embrace, sorry, to embrace our sentness for God's mission. That's the last thing we can do to understand what it means to be sent. Matthew 28, this is God's big call to people. He says this, go for therefore and make disciples of many nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This is a powerful call. I used to think that call was for everybody but me. That's for spiritual people, you know, like the Pope and missionaries, other people. But actually, this is the standing order for all people who claim to know Jesus. This is it. 
Now, I, I know sometimes we think our, our faith is all about a personal relationship with Jesus. And yes, our faith does include a personal relationship, but it also includes a personal call to action. And that this is, this is the call to action. You know, when I was a rookie in the NFL, I remember getting to Washington, D.C. to play football for the Redskins. I was a little wet behind the ears, you know, as a, as a rookie, like most are. And I spent my entire life getting ready for that moment, for that first training camp. I mean, I'd been in Pop Warner football and high school football and college football, countless training camps, countless training centers, weekend camps, grueling early morning workouts. I had spent thousands upon thousands upon thousands of hours getting ready for this exact moment. But you know what happened? I got there and I was like a deer in the headlights. I didn't know how to act. It was very difficult for me to adjust. It was hard. I wanted to do it. I had learned a lot and maybe I thought maybe I should go learn more. People could see it all over my face. One time uh, the head coach comes up to me and he says, Eddie, can I ask you a question? Of course, what am I gonna say no to the head coach? He says, do you like it here? Whoa, that question changed my life. Do I like it here? He could see it all over my face. I had spent all this time building up this potential, this potential, this strength and power and knowledge to get ready to go play a sport that when I got there, I couldn't even utilize all the energy I created. I had all this potential energy and I had not yet turned it into kinetic energy. And all this potential, no kinetic. And that's where I was at. Many of us have spent so many countless hours, Bible studies, uh, Facebook groups, prayer groups, small groups, greeting, serving in kids' ministry, watching sermons online, talking to people uh, about God, discussing the nuances, sitting underneath sermons, counseling. You've done all this and you've built up so much potential as a Christian. It's time to turn that potential energy into kinetic energy. Once I realized playing that I just needed to let it rip, I just needed to go out there and enjoy the process of what it meant to be a football player, that's when I was able to embrace it. So I have a question for you. Do you like it here? Do you like it at Trace? Do you like your city? Do you like being a part of the family of God? Do you enjoy being a child of Jesus, if you, are, if you call yourself one? Do you enjoy any of these things? Because if you do, it's time to turn that potential and make it kinetic. There are people, there are hands that you can hold, there are minds you can pierce that are out there for you, uniquely knitted. God's literally put Easter eggs out there for each of you to go find your story, to embrace other people and to help them learn about who God is. What are you waiting on? It's time to let it rip. It's time to let it go. And if you do that, you're gonna be free to minister to your coworkers, your friends, your gym, and you're not gonna be afraid. You're not gonna be cynical. You're not gonna be fearful. You're not gonna be skeptical because you're embracing all of the work and power that you put in. It's powerful. Ultimately though, it's one thing to just go be sent, but the most important thing for us really is to understand why we're sent. The reason why we're sent is because there was somebody that was sent first. You see, Jesus Christ came into the world into human history as a humble, peasant, no fervor, no stature. The Bible says no one would have looked upon him and seen any glory. They wouldn't have seen that when he came into the world and he comes and he lives a perfect life. So perfect, in fact, that flawed human beings look at him and say, nah, he's lying, let's kill him. And that's what happens. Human beings kill Jesus. And before Jesus died, Jesus said, hey, the world that you live in is not the way it's supposed to be. 
There is brokenness, there is death, there is loss, there's all this hard stuff happening. You guys all feel that, right? You understand the world's not the way it's supposed to be. Jesus said that. He's like, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And as a result, people killed Jesus. And Jesus Christ laid in a tomb for three days. And as he was laying there, the disciples, they, they wallowed, they were upset. And then Jesus Christ comes back. And you know what Jesus' message was? Hey, the world that you live in is not the way it's supposed to be. I have a plan to fix the world. And all you have to do is love me the way I've loved you through my death, take my perfect identity upon yourself, and be free. And I want you to go out into the world and tell people what I've done for you. If you understand why you're sent, you'll understand why it's important for you to go now. I think it's time for all of us to look back at our lives, look back down the corridor of time and go, have I been a sent person? And if I haven't, why? And if I haven't, do I really understand why I was sent in the first place? That there was a loving God who loved me beyond measure, who laid his life down for me. And as I understand that, my motives are pure to go out and to tell other people about it. When you embrace your sentness, you are most in sync with the way God created you to be. Do you understand that? When you embrace your sentness, you are, are most in sync with the way God created you to be. If you aren't sent as someone who calls himself Jesus, then you are missing a fundamental purpose of who you are and who you've been created to be and what you're created to do. I want that for you this morning. I want you to embrace it because here's the thing. Maybe you find yourself joyous and happy and content right now. The immeasurable joy and happiness that awaits you when you're in sync with who God's created you is beyond measure, not just for this life, but in for the next one. Let's pray. God, it's such a wonderful, such a wonderful privilege to open up your word before great people here at Trace, Lord. I pray for motivation. I pray for kindness on them, Lord. Would you be kind to them? Would, uh, would you be gracious to them? Would you fill up their cups, Lord God? Would you pour into them? Some of us are here. We're just figuring this whole thing out. We don't know much about Jesus. Would you give them an extra measure of grace this morning? Would you point them in the right direction? There are people in this room right now that you've called to talk to those people. Would you fill them with the courage that you had on the cross so that they might do that? And Lord Jesus, as we gather to go watch football tonight or maybe commercials, uh, Lord God, wherever it is you have for us, would we be missional? Would we invite people into that? And will we live as a family amongst your people together? We love you. We give you all of our thanks. In his name, amen. Help me in showing Eddie our appreciation for sharing with us today from God's word. <clears throat> <clears throat> funny, um, funny thing that happened between Eddie and I a couple years ago when I first met him. I'm listening to him talk, and as you can tell, very passionate about what he does. I'm just listening to him. He kind of gets done talking, look at him. I said, man, I've got voice envy. And I don't know if you know this. Most people, this is a true statement, most people in America, like, they don't like the way their voice sounds. And I'm listening to him, like, I envy the way your voice sounds. And he looked at me and said, it's probably one of the weirdest things I've ever heard. <clears throat> I said, I'm not weird, you're weird. <sighs> But uh, incredibly grateful for you, bro. Thanks for sharing that message with us. Hey, we're going to transition into a time of response. And this will look several different ways. And for those of you that are uh, new here, this is how this looks. This might be the most important thing that we do every Sunday. Uh, we do something and we celebrate in something called the Lord's Supper. And if you look around the room, you'll see four crosses. And at those stations, there's a cracker that represents the broken body of Jesus that was given up for you on the cross. 
And what we do is we take that cracker and we dip it in juice uh, that represents the shed blood of Jesus that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. In Hebrews, we read that there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And of course, through Jesus, he was shedding perfect blood without any blemish. He had never sinned. And so for those of us that have already chosen to put our faith and trust in Jesus, this is something that we do to remember that and celebrate that. And can I just remind you this morning, there's a reason why those crosses are on their side. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, hey, if you want to follow me, like if you want to take this seriously, if you're not just in this, if this isn't just a good idea and you really want to make your life about me, then what I want you to do is deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow me. And the reason why those crosses are on their side is because you can't pick up a cross unless you lay it on its side. And so what cross is Jesus asking you to bear? What is it that he's asking you to deny? And so when you go to the table today, if you've already chosen to make that decision, and Jesus is your leader and Lord, uh, just think about that. God, what are you asking me to deny? How can I better pick up the cross that you've asked me to bear? For those of you that have come prepared, you can also drop your offering off in the buckets um, on the tables there. And thank you for partnering with us in generosity. Uh, we believe that our God is a generous God for God so loved the world that he gave. And so we're modeling through our giving based on the posture of our heavenly father. Uh, this is also an opportunity if you wanna go in the back and you're just carrying something, man, we get it, man. The stories that some of you guys are walking through those doors with every Sunday, like that's too heavy for one person to carry. And I hope you know that your heavenly father wants to carry that with you, but so do we. And the best way that we can do that is through the power of prayer. And so if you go back to those tables, you can write out a prayer request. And we've got a whole team of people that are going to be praying for you this week. So I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to pray. And then I'll encourage you just to respond however that God is leading you. Let me do that right now. Father, um, this is a moment that we set aside because we've sang some songs. We've listened to a sermon. And maybe you want to speak to us specifically about something that we've already heard, or maybe you just want to get our attention on something that is entirely different. And God, we just want to give you that space right now to, to do what only you can do, Father. We know you're in the business of transforming lives. And so, God, we invite that transformational power in this place right now. And so, Lord, would you move? Uh, and may we have a posture to listen. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Feel free to respond.